Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. And listen, I'm talking to you today about mercy, mercy, mercy. What an important subject. And I have a goal to teach you three things between today and tomorrow. I want to, first of all, tell you what mercy is. Looking at it from a biblical standpoint. And then secondly, I want to share with you who gets mercy. We're talking biblically who gets mercy. By the way, none of us deserve mercy. So everybody who gets mercy is receiving a wonderful gift that they haven't earned. And then lastly, we're going to talk about, well, how do I know for sure that I have received God's mercy. Well, before we go too far, there was an astonishing and a rare display of Christ-like love in a Texas courtroom when a young man forgave a Dallas woman who shot and killed his brother. That's right. Former police officer Amber Geiger was on trial for fatally shooting Botham Jean in his own apartment back in 2018. Well, as you can imagine, the case attracted a lot of media attention as Geiger, a white police officer, had entered into the home of the 26-year-old Botham, a black man. Well, she thought it was her own apartment. She mistook Botham for an intruder and instinctively reacted by shooting him at close range. Well, during the trial, the defendant's attorney made a controversial move trying to use a defense known as the Castle Doctrine, which basically protects people who defend themselves in their own home. Well, obviously, she wasn't in her own home, even though she thought she was in her own apartment. So the move failed. Geiger was sentenced to 10 years in prison. But then something rather unusual happened. Well, an angry crowd was protesting against Geiger outside the courtroom, Inside, an incredible scene of forgiveness and reconciliation was unfolding. 18-year-old Brant Jean, the younger brother of Botham, spoke to Geiger from the witness stand, expressing mercy and forgiveness. He says, I don't know what to say, but I don't want to say it twice, or I don't want to say it a hundred times, how much you've taken from us. I think you know that, he said. He urged Geiger to ask God for forgiveness and to give her life to Christ. This is what he said. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want you to do. I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. But I just hope you will go to God with all the guilt, with all the bad things you have done in the past, he said. And then he continued, each and every one of us have done something we're not supposed to do. If you truly are a story, I know I can speak for myself, I forgive you. I know if you can go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. And I don't think anyone else will say it. Again, I'm not speaking on behalf of my family, I'm speaking on my behalf. I love you like anyone else. And I'm not going to say, I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I personally want the best for you. And the story unfolds as it even takes a most unusual turn. He says, I wasn't going to say this in front of my family or anyone else, but I don't want you to go to jail. I want what's best for you, because I know that's exactly what Botham would want for you too. The best would be to give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad 
on you. Well, in a very unusual move, the witness was able to come off the stand and they embraced one another. He embraced Geiger three times while speaking quietly to her in front of the judge as a security guard and and as attorneys stood in close proximity. Now, Geiger showed visible emotion and sobs that could be heard in the courtroom as she was being embraced. Defense attorney Toby Schock later called it an amazing moment and told the news station that he had never seen anything like it. When he began to ask the judge if he could hug her, she was saying yes, 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 over again and again. Another of Geiger's defense attorneys, Robert Rogers, said, I can't talk about it without getting choked up. For all the love and all the grace that came out of this, to get here is amazing. From a few people just showing grace. The victim's sister, Beth Ann, expressed grace in her statement on the witness stand, saying, We have no room for hate, so we have to forgive. And then something very unusual happened in the case. This was the most unusual case ever, I think, to be in the courts of the United States of America. After the court hearing was concluded, Judge Tammy Kemp, also a Christian, embraced the parents of the victim. In a very rare move, she also hugged the convicted woman at length and then handed her very own Bible to her as a gift. She encouraged her to read the Bible saying, this is your job for the next month. Wow, what an amazing act of mercy and forgiveness. Well, I want you to know, not everybody is happy when mercy is extended and forgiveness is extended. The Freedom From Religious Foundation filed an ethics complaint against Judge Tammy Kemp over her gesture. In a letter, they said that this gift of the Bible was inappropriate. It was unconstitutional and it was an abuse of power. Despite the compassion behind it, they argued that compassion crossed the line into coercion. <laughs> wow. But the defense attorney, Robert Rogers, who represented the judge, gave another explanation for this act of mercy by the judge and said she was using her power in terms of rehabilitations, using the Bible to rehabilitate somebody. Well, this case was finally dismissed and nothing else happened with it. But I want you to know something. God is a merciful God. God wants to show his mercy to us. So today and tomorrow, I want to look at this subject of mercy from a biblical perspective. A couple of verses by way of introduction. Psalm chapter 6, verse number 2 says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, for my bones are in agony. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy, says verse number 9. The Lord accepts my prayer. I want to give a definition of what is biblically behind the concept of mercy. God's mercy means that he has pity on us. He has compassion. He has kindness toward his people. Mercy shows up in the believer's life at salvation. And then God continues to show kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Mercy triumphs over judgment, but refusing God's mercy is disastrous. Mercy includes the forgiveness of sins 
that are made possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Mercy is God withholding his judgment. What judgment should fall and legally should fall, God is merciful. Well, let's talk about who receives it. We're looking at Romans chapter 9, and we're going to begin at verse number 6. Let me read verses 6 through 13 to you. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time, next year, I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah hath conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, because of him who calls, she was told, the elder will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. So, who receives mercy? Now, I want to begin by saying, mercy is not dependent upon our nationality. It doesn't matter if you're English, it doesn't matter if you're Irish, it doesn't matter if you're African or Japanese or Chinese or Russian. It has nothing to do with our nationality. It is based upon a promise that God made. There's a phrase that is found in verse number eight that says, mercy is given to the children of promise. They are counted as God's offspring. You see, when we look at what Paul is trying to tell us, he's saying it's not the children of the flesh, it's not those who are descended from Israel that belong to Israel. Paul says something that is very unsettling to the mind of the Jew. He says, the older will serve the younger. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now, as we look at this, we discover that God is doing something that appears from our perspective to be out of order. In biblical times, in the Old Testament time, the firstborn male was always given an extra blessing. He was the favored child. He was the one that would receive the brunt of the inheritance. But here we discover that Jacob was the secondborn. Esau was the firstborn. But Esau didn't get the blessing. Jacob did. And Paul goes so far as to say it had nothing to do with the way they were living their life. He says they were born and this was decided upon before they had done either good or bad. It was based upon a promise. God had made a promise that Jacob was going to be the one that was going to inherit the blessing. You see, God works on promises. Now, we're talking about a very difficult doctrine for some people to get their heads around. But I want you to know it's called the doctrine of election. And this doctrine always, always, always refers to believers. God doesn't elect anybody to go to hell. God doesn't predetermine that anybody's going to go to hell. This doctrine of election is God's promise that he will follow through and that he will extend mercy. And it doesn't matter what nation you belong to. 
It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't even matter that you are a person that is acting good because the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Listen, God extends mercy to us based upon a promise that he has made. Now, if you're born again, you're a recipient of God's promise. I believe that this is a promise that is available to all, but God in his foreknowledge, not his predestination, but in his foreknowledge, God knows how we will act upon this free will that he gives us. So it's not based upon our nationality. Paul made it very clear that everyone who is born a Jew is not part of Israel. He's saying that a Jew is one that is born to Jewish parents, but also one that is born again. There's a Jew who is one biologically, and there's Jews who are ones who are Jews spiritually. Did you know if you're born again, spiritually, God looks at you as the apple of his eye. God looks at you as one who has been born again. Regardless of where your background is, regardless of what you have done, when you receive God's gift of mercy, you receive a wonderful gift and you become a children of the promise. Well, there's more, okay? Mercy is not dependent upon nationality, but God's promise. Number two, mercy is not dependent upon our merit, but upon God's purpose. You see, God has a purpose for what he's doing. Let's drop down to verse number 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Now, Paul is anticipating. He's going to get some kickback for what he just said. Now, remember when Paul is writing this book, he's writing to the Romans. A lot of Gentile believers in Rome. Some Jews are in Rome and they're part of a house church. And as they're reading this letter, Paul knows that he's going to get some kickback. So what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? They're going to say, well, this is not fair. The Israelites are the ones that should receive God's mercy. They are God's people. Paul says, no, there's no injustice here. By no means. And then he's going to give us an illustration of two Bible characters. He says, first of all, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And then verse number 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God. There's that phrase. It doesn't depend on human will or exertion. In other words, it doesn't depend on what we do. God doesn't look down and say to us, Oh, you're a good boy. Oh, you're a good girl. I'm going to give you mercy. It depends on God's purpose. God's mercy is given at his will. And the scripture says, as we read verse number 17, for this very purpose, speaking of Pharaoh, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, He has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Well, let's back up. I said that mercy is not dependent upon nationality. Mercy is dependent upon God giving us a promise that we can become the children of that promise. Mercy, number two, doesn't depend upon our merit, but on God's purpose. 
And God uses the illustration of Moses and the illustration of Pharaoh. Now, both of these characters in the Bible were raised in a similar fashion. Let's look at the life of Moses first. Moses lived to be 120 years old. That's pretty good. He spent the first 40 years of his life living the life of luxury. He had everything you can imagine. Best food, best housing, best education, best opportunities, wealthy, lots of chances to do great things. It says that I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. Age 40, Moses kills a man. He flees into the wilderness, spends 40 years in the wilderness. At age 80, he has a burning bush experience, and his life has changed. So the first 40 years of his life, he tried to be a somebody. The second 40 years of his life, he realized he was a nobody. At age 80, he has a burning bush experience. And he ends up being a blessing to everyone. Moses experienced 40 years of God's mercy. Moses was a fugitive. He committed murder. And he runs for his life. You know, whenever you see God using somebody in a very mighty way, I want you to know something. Before God used them, God broke them in a million pieces and puts them back together. But they've got to be willing vessels. Moses was willing to tolerate that time of waiting for 40 years in the wilderness. It took 40 years for Egypt to get out of Moses. But at age 80, he is ready. Well, let's look at the life of Pharaoh. Pharaoh began the life of leisure, living in the lap of luxury best schools, best education, best food, best opportunities. He's a leader, and he's got everything he needs. He continued to live that way. Now, I don't know exactly how old Pharaoh was when Moses goes back to confront him. You would think that Moses was afraid to confront Pharaoh, but he wasn't. He learned after 40 years of walking with the Lord that he had nothing to be afraid of. But Scripture says, verse 17, that for this very purpose, God raised up Pharaoh, that God would show his power through him, and that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. Some people think, well, God wasn't merciful to Pharaoh. Oh, yes, he was. Remember when Moses went back to confront him and said, now, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no. And plague after plague, after plague. Every single one of those plagues identified an idol or a god that Egypt had. Now, God could have said the first time through Moses, let my people go. And if Pharaoh had said no, and he did say no, but God could have destroyed Pharaoh, could have blown him away like a piece of lint. But God was merciful. God says, okay, that's chance number one. Here comes the second plague. Here's chance number two. Mercy number two. Pharaoh hardened his heart. You see, it kind of goes back and forth. On some occasions, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. On other occasions, it said Pharaoh hardened his heart. Ten plagues. 
And Pharaoh is experiencing no change of heart. You say, well, when the death of the firstborn took place, plague number 10, Pharaoh saw and repented and had a softening of his heart, and he let the people go. He let Moses and the Hebrew children go. Well, he did let them go, but it was not with a heart that had been changed. It's almost like his hand was forced. And out of grieving and out of exasperation, he lets the people go. But we know that his heart was not sincere because they weren't too far into the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, I'm going after them. And he sends his troops after them to pursue them. And you know the story. Moses is up there against the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his army is behind him. And he's got the Red Sea before him. And his people are complaining, saying, Moses, what did you do to bring us out here so that we could die here? But God worked miraculously. Verse 18. So then God has mercy on whomever he wills. You see, nobody deserves mercy, but God has a purpose in sharing mercy with whom he pleases. He has mercy on whoever he wills, and he hardens whoever he wills. You see, some people have no desire to receive God's mercy. They don't think they need it. They don't believe God will deliver it. You know, mercy can be refused. Well, I want to encourage you to join me tomorrow as I give you two more reasons or two more ways that God delivers mercy. But I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you to memorize God's Word. I can't think of a better way to uh, spend your time than investing it in God's Word. So recently, I received the Topical Memory System. Uh, This is the Navigator's Scripture Memory Course, and they have these memory cards in here, and it's it's a wonderful course that I'm going to be doing some personal study on. And here are some verses that I think you ought to commit to memory. Here's the first one. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new has come, says some translation. The old is gone, and the new is here. Listen, when you are a recipient of God's mercy, you also get His grace. It says that if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. The old is done away with. Behold, all things have become new. Here's another great verse to memorize. Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, says Paul, I beg you, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, in view of what God has done for us, and just how merciful he has been to us, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, says verse number two, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God in Christ Jesus. You know, one of the ways that I know that I have received God's mercy is that I think differently about mercy. As you join me tomorrow, we're going to see some 
evidences that I have received mercy. And one of the evidences is that I'm merciful to others. You know, it's very hard to give mercy to somebody if you haven't received mercy. We learn to be merciful by receiving mercy. And mercy actually multiplies the more we give it away. It's kind of like forgiveness. Remember when Jesus says, if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you of your trespasses. So we have much to gain as we receive mercy and as we give mercy to others. So Lord, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to speak about mercy based upon Romans chapter 9. Lord, thank you that you are the one that is the great example of how to live in mercy and how to give mercy. Lord, help us to walk in the newness of life that we have because you have been so merciful to us. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you for reaching out and love to us. Thank you for loving us when we couldn't even love ourselves. You are a mighty God. We praise you today. We thank you for giving us the word of God that speaks to our hearts and speaks into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Join me for part two tomorrow on Mercy, Mercy, Mercy. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.